How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Milwaukee. Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR. IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. And welcome to the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zotke, along with Jeff Orlowski in studio. We got so much stuff to talk about today, Jeff. We could do a three-hour show. Maybe we will do a three-hour show. I don't know. We'll see see what happens. But we got a lot of stuff to go through. Uh, Some breaking news, but before we get to that, UMBC. (laughs) I mean, this is I, I'm. This is not. This is this is huge. I mean, people don't realize how how big of a deal. But uh, there's a couple of things though. When you look back at it, you go, hmm. Now I, I I'm no expert on college basketball, but you know I follow 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 it a bit, especially during March, of course. But if you would say if you would talk to all the guys, Sparky, Rami, Bill Michaels. Leroy, all the gang say, okay, there's a number 16. Who who would be the team? And not I'm thinking this year, but what, what, what team could lose to a 16 if everything's right? I think most of them would have said Virginia in hindsight. Yeah, well, you know, Virginia, they do have a history of not performing up to expectations in and the that tournament. style basketball is and, – and Barkley, who gets a lot of criticism, and, you know, let's, let's you know – Let's let's admit it. I don't think he's preparing three hours before every show. However, he brought up something, and sometimes it's the simple things that make sense. When you're playing, you know, against five all the time, it's tougher to get shots. Right. And he brings up, yeah, because in transition, there's layups, there's all sorts of stuff, but there's more options available to you when you do the slow plotting, going against five guys. Yeah, it's tougher. And and in this a case yesterday where two things, they got behind. And then I'm thinking, okay, they still have a choice because I knew, you knew with Virginia, between the time left in the game and the points they were down, there's going to be a point of no return because they couldn't. You knew that because of their offense, their slow plotting style, that and I think, and the retrievers knew that too. They did, and you know it wasn't just the the lack of offense on Virginia's side. They could not defend the basketball at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the uh, number one overall seed, the top-ranked team in the country, and no one ever heard of Baltimore County, the Retrievers, before. To be honest, I, I had to look it up. 
Yeah, you I mean, know because you're it's a 16th seed. There's always those oddball teams. Yeah, when you're doing your bracket, you know you do some research, but it, you're looking at who's this? Okay, I, uh, yeah, whatever. No one does research on a 16 over a one because it's not. It I've, until yesterday it never happened. No, apparently on 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 the the four letter 17.3 million brackets. Nobody had that pick. No, there was less than there was like. Th- almost 350,000 had it. And uh, I think those are computers. Somebody has a computer program that just probably I, I it just It's I, nobody I, that knows sports and knows what they're yeah. f- what they're, you know, following. Nobody who follows college Matt basketball Regatius, picked it. Who used to work here his son, his son at uh, UMBC. But that's because he was throwing stuff at the screen apparently, which Right. You're going to pick the Cavalier or you're going to pick the dog. Well, you know, the 5-year-old kids going to pick the dog. Good doggy. <laughs> and it's the Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. I still don't care. But even though, uh, even their logo looks like a golden retriever. That was it was just absolutely fantastic. It's just, you know, getting to being able to sit there and watch history like that is just amazing. And um, you know, I, I loved it. I, I don't have a rooting interest. I know a lot of people uh root for Bennett because of the ties to Wisconsin and everything like that. Um, I'm not, I don't have that curse since I'm from Chicago, but, uh, so I just, I was watching and well, just watching a great game. Here's a storyline when you were making out your brackets this week. Oh, this is ridiculous. Arizona, Virginia, and, and Kentucky in the same bracket. Oh yeah. Well, two out of three are already out. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And th- there was a lot of uh, memes and stuff going around with Calipari laughing, uh, his road to the final four, because it's a bunch of nobody's left right. in that bracket now. And, uh, you know, good for him, I guess. And uh, you know, it stinks for the for the, the kids from Virginia, but God, you just what an egg they laid. What an absolute egg. Mm-hmm. Crazy. But we all saw we all saw history. So it was fantastic. Some breaking news this morning that we're uh, looking at. Well, it can't be that NASCAR changed the rules again, can it? No, it's actually in the IndyCart. Oh, okay. IndyCar world. Uh, statement from ABC. Please be advised that 2018 will be the final year of the IndyCar Series races broadcast on ABC, including the Indianapolis 500. We have enjoyed our long association with IndyCar. Thank you for all your support these races over the years. Hashtag IndyCar. Ouch. And it was interesting that... um, um, That... Our favorite AP reporter out of Indy, who who gets so many things wrong, it's amazing. But uh, she tweeted out conflicting reports regarding the ABC IndyCar tweet, and I'm like, what? Because she's looking for IndyCar to confirm it. Well, see what happened was IndyCar announced, did their little dog and pony show. Oh, tune into the Indy 500. They're gonna start their their PR thing building it up, and then ABC said, oh, by the way, this is going to be our last one. Well, IndyCar doesn't want to talk about that. Right. IndyCar wants to talk about tuning into the Indy 500. We don't care about that stuff. So this person's going, well, we want to confirm it. No, they don't want to confirm it. They want to keep it bright, cheery, and happy. Absolutely. You know, they don't want to talk. They don't want to change the narrative. I, I'm just I'm just shocked at, at, at her sometimes. Anyways, I think most of the people listening – that follow the sport knows who I'm talking about. Um, ABC, 
Of course, they go back to, I believe, 1967, if I recall. Uh, the races used to be uh, on TV, but on a delayed basis, up until 19 uh, through 85, you'd have to watch. You usually would listen to the race on the radio, be there in person. And then I think at about 7 o'clock, they would show the race. And it was that way until 1985. Those under the age of 35 are probably shocked and can't even contemplate why they would do that. But, <laughs> yes, it was a different time back then. Uh, and then uh, started in 1986, they started to go live, and thus IndyCar had the first, uh, the Indy 500, that is, had the first uh, postponed race until the following week. So ABC, Jim McKay, Jackie Stewart, Chris Economaki, classic, loved it. But looking back on it, you know, it was just, it's funny. They started a, a show them again on ESPN Classic years ago. And uh, it was pretty much, you could take the the narration from every Indy 500 and just kind of lay it over the same. They'd say the same thing about the same guys. Oh, yes, it's the, the Unzer brothers from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of course, Al and Bobby and Sally, brother Jerry, killed in Indianapolis in 1958 or 1959 and blah, blah, blah. And Jackie Stewart, every time a car would hit the wall, oh, my lordy, I hope the car doesn't catch on fire and all that. It was, it was, it's, it's, it's funny. And it thus more warped into ABC, all this bad coverage. So there's a lot of people, the hardcore IndyCar fans are just, they're clapping. Because NBC... Has they've split the ABC, ABC has done the Indy 500 in about four or five races. NBC's taking the rest of it, and they and ABC, NBC always had a little more kind of it, it was a hipper broadcast. ABC was a little bit stiff with Scott Goodyear, they were changing the, the, the lead guy, uh, Eddie Cheever, and a lot of people aren't happy with Scott Goodyear, he's a little milk toast. And then you have uh, Eddie Cheever, who's uh, either light, love him or hate him type guy. And NBC, you know, you had Lee Diffie, you had Robin Miller, who we're, we were going to have on the show in the second hour. But since this has happened, try getting hold of him earlier, see if we can move him up or that. He ain't, I'm sure he's tapping away oh, on yeah, his working. computer uh, for Racer Magazine. So we'll leave Robin uh, alone today and let him work on that uh, story that's breaking about the ABC News. But uh, you have any any feelings on that ABC, NBC, or, or just does that make a big difference? I know in the past summer, NASCAR girl hated TNT, couldn't stand TNT broadcasts, hated it, and a lot of other people didn't like it. I was like, eh, different. You know, there's guys I like, there's guys I don't like. I don't have a huge deal with any of them because you know a lot of the time. Especially uh, with NASCAR, I'll watch each race twice, and at least once I, I watch it with no sound. So I'm not even paying attention. And so, you know, it, does, it, does it bother me that much? No. And uh, I, I don't really care. Well, Is that bad? I, I think it's going to suck for the ratings this year because I don't think ABC is going to be really emphasizing it that much, promoting it. No. I mean, you look at Fox. Criticize Fox all you want, but boy, they are a grandstander for NASCAR. When you're watching the NFL playoffs in December, oh, yeah. what are they pumping up? The Daytona. Daytona. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you got to give them props for that. They do the best they can. They're paying a hell of a lot of money for that. Yes, they are. And that's one of the reasons why they're doing it. But they are pumping and pumping and pumping that Daytona 500. You know, the only thing that bothers me is just, you know, the end of an era thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it was a, a longstanding relationship as, as far back as I can remember with IndyCar. It's always been ABC. And uh, and that, that part is sad to me. So I, I, but it's a new world, of course. Those, Jim McKay's gone, you know. Keith Jackson is gone. Chris Schenkel, all those guys are gone. Unfortunately, you're trying it'll, to make me cry. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I think overall, long term, it'll be better for uh, IndyCar. Yeah, IndyCar's got some momentum. I think they have a uh, more of a broadcast partner that wants to be there, whereas in the past, I think ABC and ESPN were kind of like, well, okay, we're here. They never really pumped it as much as as they should have yeah i agree with you so we have a full show today coming up next we're going to be talking to john close from charlotte north carolina long time nascar guy involved in the sport locally uh short track uh from wisconsin involved with richie bickle uh involved in the promotion side of racing the um spotter pr you name it uh, respect them very much when it comes to the world of uh, not only the world of NASCAR racing, but also short track racing. And uh, we're gonna when we come back, we're gonna be playing. I think what was a very telling uh, remarks from Tony Stewart and Kevin Harvick last week uh, that kind of broke early in the week after the show, unfortunately, and uh, from the show from last week talking about short track racing and the promotion. And is there a disconnect between? NASCAR racing and short track racing because in the past there's been complaints from the USAC guys, the sprint car guys, midget guys of a disconnect between IndyCar and 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 and, and the sprint cars, dirt track guys, and, and and such in Indiana and in the Midwest. Now we're starting to hear the same thing about NASCAR and the disconnect between the smaller series and that. So we're going to look into that and see is that something that can be fixed, repaired. So when we come back, we're going to hear from Kevin Harvick. And Tony Stewart, and then we're going to get feedback from John Close, and then we have all sorts of more surprises coming up in the next uh, uh, hour and a half here or so, including Eddie Lapine reporting in from Sebring at the 12 hours of Sebring, and we got interviews coming up from him. So, full show, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listen, listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. You know, I think that needs to be a part of our initiative. Not everybody, you know, a guy like Chase Elliott would love to go run late model races at any late model track in the country instead of going to to do an appearance that's that's what pushes his buttons um, a guy like jimmy johnson has no real interest in in running any extra races you know like a guy like jeff gordon didn't um and but uh, you know if we could if we could find that niche for um like i would love to to build the k&n west series back to what it needs to be and and that enthusiasm and get to the right racetracks and um, you know, help those kids because for me it was an eye opener last year when I went to Sonoma and saw the impact that that um, 
running that race had on the competitors in the series. And, and, you know, the fans will sometimes say, well, you're cherry picking. Well, I can tell you nobody would know who Will Rogers is if it wasn't for us running that race and, and being a part of that and having him on the radio show and bringing him to the pit box the next day and these guys taking him in. And, and um, so if we can shed some light on those particular series and, and really build them uh, back to where they need to be. And um, I have so many thoughts on this that, you know, it's that's just for a different conversation. So, um, you know, building everything from the grassroots up. I, I love the grassroots part of our sport. This guy is, has been a part of, of grassroots racing from the sprint cars and midgets. And, um, you know, I've been mad at Sperber here for – couple years now because he you know he won't have the K&N cars come race here because it doesn't help his budget but in the end you know without those grassroots fans and those grassroots people coming and uh, being able to to race here uh, whether it fits your budget or not 10 years from now you better hope you have your ass some people that'll sit in the, in the stands up here and, and wanting to watch these races that are at these short tracks because those are your those are your hardcore fans and those are your grassroots fans and you know one of the one of the best things that happened for racing it's not just about NASCAR, but one of the best things that used to happen for racing was when we had the Copper Classic here. We had midgets, we had sprint cars. It didn't matter how many people sat in the grandstands, but as competitors, those guys, this was their Daytona. This On the West Coast, this was what we thought our Daytona 500 was. This is where everybody wanted to race. And, you know, it's it's kicking those guys low on the Kane and West Series that, that they don't get to come and race at this particular racetrack because of the fact that, that um, you know, there's a little bit of a – a pissing contest between you know a budget and, and uh, you know what is right and what is wrong from a sanctioning fee side on, on trucks and, and Xfinity, um, so they cut the K and N guys out. Cutting the grassroots side of things out is not the right way to do things. Those guys are they just want to race, and this is a crown jewel race for those guys. So, you know, it's just the, the thought process for me is is broken. And you know, when when I look at our hardcore fans, they're all sitting at those short tracks and they're mad. They're mad because nobody – you don't have a Winston who is supporting these short tracks like they used to. Winston used to infuse so much money into all these short tracks around the country, and that's what kept it going, and, and that's what kept people showing up to these racetracks because there was point funds. But when we had the Copper Classic, you had TV out here, and everybody could get sponsors, and they'd show up to race, and they'd come from all over the country, and they'd show up out here, and, and there'd be – I don't even know how many sprint cars and midgets, though, I mean, but there'd be 70, 80 – um, Southwest Tour cars, and you'd have a truck race, and it'd lead off the year. So I don't know. You know, there's just I have a lot of things that I think about. And I yep. love the grassroots side of things, though. Yeah. Bob Bear was probably the best at that. I mean, you guys that follow this every week, I mean, you guys remember Bob Bear used to bring in series that I promise you he lost his butt on, and he he paid probably more guys tow money to come race at his racetrack. Uh, than he ever brought back in revenue, but he realized how important it was to the region and how important it was to the teams and drivers. And like Kevin mentioned, I mean, the Copper Classic, uh, I ran second to Mike Bliss here, and that one race got me a huge opportunity to drive for some really big teams. And, you know, now you don't have things like that. But but we can afford to spend $170 million to move the front stretch from there over to there for – I still have no idea what the hell the reason for that is. Grand doesn't seem like that big so deal. yeah, I, I, I guess we probably can't afford to run any support races here that cost the track some money. I tell you what, <laughs> one thing about Kevin Harvick, Tony Stewart, there's no filter. Nope, they'll tell you what's on their mind. Yeah, and uh, that's why when uh, the TV's on and you know they're interviewing drivers after races, 
Uh, sometimes I'll walk out of the room and check on something, and but when certain guys are on, you pay attention. Yes, sir. You never are, know what they're going to say. And those are two of them. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so it's so refreshing. You know, uh, everybody complains all the time about, you know, just getting the straight vanilla answers, not telling you anything. You put a mic in front of in front of Kevin Harvick, Tony, Brad Keselowski, you're going to get something. They're going to give you something. I tell you what, let's go to the Great Midwest uh, Bank Hotline and get some more blunt answers. One of my best buddies, Scotty, John Close. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. And when I heard these quotes uh, a few days ago, you know, I I, I thought of you because uh, you have a rare, I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing that you and I have seen the world of racing on both sides, uh, not only uh, from a media side, but also as a as a promoter and on the on the, on the track side, and kind of uh, let the listeners know your your background that you were kind of thrusted into service a few years ago uh, when when you ran a short track in in Georgia. Can you give us a little thumbnail sketch on that and how that came about? Well, you know, Steve, I came down here from Wisconsin in 1994 to be on the media marketing side with Bobby Labonte in the Maxwell House car and what was then Winston Cup. And over the years, you know, I saw a lot of the marketing side. You know, I had the good fortune of working with Rick Hendrick and helping bring, uh, you know, a number of deals to fruition, including like the net zero deal back in the day. And so I, I got a really good marketing background in, in, in addition to the media on, on both you know, both sides of the fence, the team side and, and the other side. But um, in uh, in 2012, a, a really good, fine gentleman, a fellow named Jim Gresham, uh, he he bought uh, Gresham Motorsports Park, which was, for a lot of people remember it as Peach State. Yeah, he, he put an $8 million investment into that place and made it a showplace of the Southeast. And um originally dan elliott bill bill's brother ran it and then uh uh they decided to part ways and and uh jim called me and asked me if i would run that racetrack and you know we had the greatest facility you could ever ask for um but ultimately mr jim decided to walk away from it in 2015 and it sits there today i mean it's for sale Mm. um but it's not open, you know, and, and it's, it's the age old thing, you know, there, there just wasn't enough revenue and, and Jim's the kind of guy, you know, where he's got plenty of money he could afford to lose money um, and not really feel it. But at a certain point, you just got to say, well, listen, this isn't working because people aren't coming. There's not as many race cars, you know, it used to be, even if, it, you know, one of the things in the Stewart interview uh, there he talked about Bob Barron. He didn't care if people came or not. Well, you know, when you got 200 cars at the back gate, you know, and that's the way a lot of tracks pay for the deal these right. days is, is it, you know, it's not on the hill, it's in the back gate. And so, you know, it's, it, it, I, I feel, you know, I understand what they're saying. I mean, Harvick, I think it's admirable. You know, he went and ran the K&N race out at, at uh, Kern County on Thursday night and finished fourth, you know. Um, but, you know, those guys, too, you know, I, I again, I, I respect Smoke, but, you know, back there in 2012, we, we tried to get him to come and and be a part of a race at, at GMP, and it was, hey, 50 grand, I'll come and do it, you know. 
uh, all those years, everybody, you know, who loves the Slinger Nationals and remembers those. I mean, Earnhardt and Allison and Neil Bonnet and, you know, every other NASCAR star right down to, you know, Matt Kenseth in recent years. I mean, those guys got pretty good jing to come. So, you know, it, it's an economics problem for the racetracks these days. And nobody is flush with money anymore. Um, car counts are down. Heck, you know, we, we had 37 cars. We got 37 cars in the cup race at California tomorrow. So um, while we, you know, we all long for the good old days when places like, you know, GMP, Peach State or or the Milwaukee Mile or any of those places, you know, were up and running and very viable and profitable. Um, but times change, and it's just not like that anymore. So um, um, I, I wish it wasn't that way, but, you know, um, my, my dad always used to say the only thing you can count on is things will change, and they certainly have. They certainly have. And, you know, looking back on things, it it, it is a kind of a two-edged sword because working at, at the Milwaukee Mile – uh, Jim Tradle and I he would hear for years, you need to bring USAC back. You need to bring USAC back. We need Silver Crown cars back and or the Sprint cars and the Midgets, and, you know, that'd be great. Well, we brought them back, and we had a triple-digit attendance for it. You know, not, not 2,000, 3,000. It was in the triple digits. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Part of the issue was, yeah. you know, we weren't too thrilled about USAC, and, and you know, we had worked out, you know, some – some uh, promotion for them getting drivers stand ups on five o'clock, you know, sport casts and whatnot. And all those guys had had to fly down to Terre Haute for another race. Well, you know, that's fine. But then, you know, if you guys are going to showcase them walking out, let's showcase it. Have you guys have the drivers hang around? Let's get some, generate some interest. So, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, I, I understand what the guys are saying. But I think you and I both are trying to let the fans know that it's not just as easy as, okay, let's send Kyle Busch to a short track. Short track racing is going to get better. There's a lot of issues involved in racing now that it's complicated. I mean, Jeff and I were talking about during the break when he mentioned the tobacco money in that with Winston. Winston was huge for short track racing. I mean, all the the billboard signs and that, I mean, that really helped out the short tracks. And across the board, whether it was Camel in in IMSA or Marlboro in in that in other series, I mean, the the tobacco money was a huge, huge Band-Aid that really helped a lot of promotion. Uh, And and that's gone. I, I, I really think that's one of the biggest that is underlining one of the biggest things that that that's hurt racing the most over the last ten years. Well, I think the you know the problem and somewhat of the solution starts at the top, and I'm going to point the finger right at NASCAR here. You know, when when Winston did step away, if if NASCAR was really really concerned about the short track program, uh, now of course they still have the home track program, but again that's. That's member, you know, to be a NASCAR home track, you pay a pretty significant fee to NASCAR to have that. And, of course, the benefits are the marketing rights and there are special insurance programs for the competitors and those kind of things. But, I mean, we looked into that at GMP, and it was it just was prohibitive cost-wise. Um, 
NASCAR doesn't really invest, you know, they, they don't invest in any money in this. So if they're really afraid of, of this going away, uh, they certainly don't, they're not supporting it. And then one of the things that they mentioned, you know, Harvick mentioned is, you know, lesser series or lower series like K&N got scrubbed for, you know, the sanctioning fees of having a, a, uh, now when we were at GMP, we really strongly looked at having a truck series race there because at that point they were thinking about retooling the schedule and, you know, they had already gone back to Eldora and made that push to maybe go back to short tracks and, they were really excited to come and, and be there. You know, again, a brand new facility, $8 million. But the bottom line is um, fee was $750,000. And we would have to make almost a million dollars worth of improvements in soft walls and those kind of technologies uh, to come up to NASCAR code. We would have to add permanent bleachers to seat at least 20. We would have to have at least 25 to 30,000 people there uh, and have perfect chamber of commerce, uh, you know, weather Mm -hmm. and everything else just to break even. Okay. So, you know, any, any promoter is going to look at that, you know, and I'm sure Tony's got a sweetheart deal at Eldora because, well, let's face it, that's a unique deal, and he didn't right. he didn't have to put in soft walls and those kind of things. So, you know, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if if short track racing, um, you know, there's all kinds of other things NASCAR did. You know, they went to Saturday nights and you know Friday nights, and and so I mean, short track racing really has gotten seriously injured by NASCAR after all those years of promoting it. So I think it kind of starts in, in the solutions also there, but um, whether that's going to happen or not, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to Vegas and bet those odds. That's true. You know, there, I mean, there are still areas of short track racing that's doing better. I mean, the dirt series seem to be doing strong world of outlaws and, and some of the late model uh, dirt, dirt, uh, you know, series that seem healthy. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's 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 not a uh, you know it, it's you know racing all overall is, is is struggling right now. Well, it is, and I mean you know there's there's all kinds of problems there. I mean you know it, you know the hardcore fans are still there, but they're not cultivating new fans among the newer generations, and that's a you know that's mm-hmm. a completely different topic. But your point about dirt versus asphalt is really well taken. You know, this week at Speed Weeks is a really good example. The World Series of Asphalt Tour down at New Smyrna, man, you could have shot off a cannon there every night and, and not hit anybody. And down the road at Volusia at the dirt stuff, I mean, it was, you know, it was SRO crowd, standing mm-hmm. room only. So the, the dirt stuff is pretty healthy. Uh, but for whatever reason, pavement racing, um, you know, and, and a lot of guys will cite cost and whatever, but... Um, it's really getting to the point now where, you know, it's it's pretty much um, a guy's bass boat. You know, somebody comes in races and it's all it's all participant supported. They're not drawing enough people on the hill to make it work for the promoter. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, we're talking with John Close, Close Finishes, and uh, also author. And we'll make sure we plug your book when we come back. <laughs> um, we'll take a quick break here. We'll talk about qualifying and inspections, uh, what happened at Fontana yesterday. You're listening to the final inspection show, courtesy of Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove.
to the final inspection show. Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski live in studio. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is John Close. And uh, give me 100 reasons why I should buy your book, John. Well, because there's a 1,000 facts in it. <laughs> That's good you know, value. It? It's a, yeah, it's a dime of fact. Uh, Great you know, photos, really too. Pretty, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool book. It's basically a history book. It, it's not really a trivia book, but there's certainly, you know, tons of trivia in it. But uh, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It, it details, a, you know, what led to the formation of NASCAR, basically racing in America from the, the late 1800s into the 1940s. And then it, it recaps the, uh, the people and the, uh, the events, the tracks, and the type of vehicles decade by decade from the 40s through present day. And uh, it comes out to 1,001 Facts. It's part of a series that uh, uh, is presented by Car Tech Books out of Minneapolis that also includes, you know, 1,001 Muscle Car Facts and 1,001 Harley Facts. So it's pretty cool to be a part of that. And, um, you know, if you want it, you can get it delivered right to your house by ordering it from Amazon.com. Excellent. Well, appreciate that, and uh, I have the book. I love it. Of course, there's a couple of my photos in it. But that's a... <laughs> well, somebody Shameless. on the other end of the phone here gave me some really great photos for it. I mean, the fo- especially the Milwaukee Mile photos. I mean, you know, I have a Milwaukee Mile photo from the very first race in 1903, and, you know, there's some other ones. There's one from a race in 1915. I mean, Steve, those – those were invaluable contributions to the book, and well, I can't thank you enough for those. I appreciate it. Uh, of course, those are not well, – they're, they're in my collection now, but originally from Al Krause, and you you remember Al Krause, yeah. the original historian who, at the Baltimore. I Mall. revere. You yeah. Know. yeah. I, I, I revere Al. Yeah, he was you – know, uh, talk, talk about legend of the Milwaukee Mile. Excellent. Yeah, he was my mentor, and, and uh, he taught me a lot, and I certainly appreciate all the time he took out and uh, kind of t- – Took, uh, yeah, he took me under his couldn't wing. Have had a better, couldn't have had a better mentor as far as racing is concerned and what a fine gentleman. Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. Uh, is it is it good when a third of the cars that show up for qualifying fail? <laughs> Inspection? Well, um, no. And, and you know, I'm going to use a term here that I'm sure a lot of military people understand. It's called FUBAR. Since this is a uh, family show, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, screwed up beyond recognition. And uh, that's the only way that you can describe the NASCAR technical process these days. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the new qualifying format. I mean, qualifying used to be boring. Right. Now it's really pretty cool. It's a race within a race. But, it, you know, but if, if 13 of the 37 cars that are there, you know, can't, can't get through tech, and some of them, like none of the Hendrick cars made it through, this new system that they came out this year, you know, was supposed to be – you know, so much better and would eliminate some of the problems that they had with cars getting through tech. But if anything, it seems to have exacerbated the problem. Um, I, I, you know, I think, and, and, and I'm not faulting the system. I think the whole deal started coming off the rails when we started measuring things to, you know, like a hundredth of a thousandth of inch because it, it not only did a couple things, it, it, it you know, it's unattainable. You know, I, I think, you know, some of the tolerances are just unattainable. And then the second part of it is, is, you know, this, we, for lack of a better term, we now have an IROC car, yeah. you know, where they've, they've legislated the creativity out of, you know, in, in engineering out of the cars because everything has to be so completely templated. And that was one of the, you know, that was one of the, 
the the basic precepts of when Bill France took NASCAR into the you know the the first new era, if you will, with the strictly stock division in 1949. You know, there were as many sometimes as 13, 14 different brands in a race, and people celebrated that. And it was the whole, hey, that's my car out there, and win on Sunday, sell on Monday thing. And now, you know, they've, they've just gone so far away from that, and they've legislated these tolerances, um, you know, every week now you see a, a litany of okay, this this team got fined for this, this team got fined for exactly. This, you know, yep, it, it's it's more I about know, that I, than the racing. Well, yeah, I, well, you know, it, when thirteen cars don't get an opportunity to qualify, it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I guess um, I, I really think all these penalties and stuff for my money, okay. You, you have to go through tech so darn many times anyway. I mean, you go through tech before qual- before you get on the racetrack. Then you got to go through tech before qualifying. And then if you do well, you go. You know, let's let's eliminate the whole before and after tech qualifying stuff. You know, I mean, let's let's eliminate that. You you go through tech. You practice. You know, uh, you you qualify. The cars are impounded. You know, the next the next day you uncover them, you pull off the tape, you fill them up with gas. You know, they're already running on the tires that that they qualified on. Which now, you know, here here's a you know the law of unintended consequences. Now you get 13 cars that are going to start to race on brand new fresh tires, as opposed to, you know, at least the 12 fastest one that have three cycles on their tires. You know, well that's a that's a, a recipe for disaster right there. Um, so, you know, and then after the race, if you don't meet tech, well, then you're disqualified and you finish in the back. You know, I mean, let's, you know, let's simply, at least let's simplify that part of it because, you know, it, I don't know, I, I can only speak for myself, but the way they have it now sure isn't working for me. And my guess is it's sure not working for a whole lot of other fans, especially, you know, think of the people who bought tickets for qualifying yesterday. You know, those people got screwed. They did. They didn't see a third of the field, <laughs> which, by the way, there's only 37 of them to begin with. I mean, that should raise some eyebrows right there. Yeah, part of so, my thing, John, yeah. is that, uh, you know, I, I understand why they have, you know, pre-race tech, post-race tech. I have more of a problem with taking, dragging the, the top three cars back to R&D and taking them apart piece by piece, actively looking yeah. for something wrong. Not to yeah. sit there and, you know... The obvious stuff, you know, uh, yeah, the engine's the right size, you know, and all all this kind of stuff. But piece by piece, just, you know, searching for anything that they can nail these guys on, it it just creates a, a bad taste in my mouth. And the fact that you got to wait, you know, you, you watch a race, you spend three hours to more likely four hours on most weeks watching these races, you see who wins, and then you got to wait until Wednesday afternoon to find out, well, are they actually going to get credit for the win? Well, it's you know, it's it's technology run amok. Um, it's a certain degree of megalomania. You know, I mean, it's power gone bad. You know, NASCAR wants to control it so badly, and and uh, I, I agree completely. You know, taking the top three back and doing that, it, it does seem like they're actually looking for something to mm-hmm. knuckle people with. And and then when they do, then then here's where I really come off the rails is, you know, now we wind up having, you know, we wind up having penalties 
that are, you know, the financial ones. Oh, okay. But when they start docking people points, now you're, now you're, you know, you're arbitrarily um, impacting the, the championship series. You know, I think points won on the racetrack are, are points won on the racetrack. Now, if, you know, if you don't meet post qualifying tech, you know, where they take the top five, that's what they always used to do. Great. EQ them, you know, and they, and they, they get last place money and last point place points. You know, but but there, there's there's just so much artificial about it, Steve. You know, and I I don't think that they should interject themselves into what happens on the racetrack uh, unless it's blatantly, uh, you know, cheating. And let's face it, you know, by by the sheer definition of the rules, everybody's cheating. If you're not, you know, well, right. then, you know, I mean that's part that's part of the creative thing. You know, we always. In fact, that's what we always used to call it, creative interpretation of the rules. You know, yeah. guys like Smokey Eunuch were, were famous, and we, we keep them in NASCAR lore, you know, Cotton Owens and guys like that, that it, they didn't necessarily break the rules. They found stuff that the rules didn't cover. And then all of a sudden NASCAR was, you know, writing a rule book because somebody found something and said, oh, well, we better legislate that. But it's gotten to the point now where it's, you know, it's, it's so out of control when stuff is measured down to a hundredth of a thousandth of an inch that, you know, that's just not, it's not comprehensible, you know, and it shouldn't be a part of our sport. Well, John, we certainly appreciate you taking time out today and, uh, make sure you check out a thousand, uh, what was it? See, I thousand one NASCAR facts. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Available on Amazon. And make sure you also check out uh, the Road America book by Steve Zaki, also available on Amazon, so we can plug both of our. Yeah, books. I hear that guy. I hear that guy's a pretty good writer. <laughs> I try. I try very hard. <laughs> so thank Always you. Always a for, pleasure being on, and thank uh, you. I appreciate you allowing me to come back and uh, say hey to all the Scotty folks. All right, thank you, John Close. Make sure you check out his book. Fantastic book. Uh, on Amazon.com. When we come back, we'll be hearing from uh, Race Talk Radio's Dennis Michelson and Laurie Murnerall. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke in studio along with Jeff Orlowski. Talking NASCAR, a little bit of IndyCar. Talking some uh, sports car racing with Eddie Lapine, who's at Sebring for the 12 hours of uh, Sebring. A little bit uh, later in the show. Still talking NASCAR at this point. You know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, Jeff. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, Fortunately, I have some pretty smart friends. I even got a friend who uh, used to work with uh, Boeing Aerospace and NASA. He actually has stuff that he he designed floating around the, the globe and the space station. Wow, you know better people than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I know him through racing, so go figure. Anyways, we were talking this morning because I wanted to kind of get his opinion on, on this with the inspection and that. He says... Problem isn't with the the system. The system with the lights and that, Mm -hmm. it's been around for a while. 
And uh, that's not the issue. He says the issue that he can see, just looking at it from, you know, uh, a bit of, you know, from a, just with me telling him and a little bit that he read is when, when you have an item and he, you know, he's always, he thinks real linear in, a, in an engineering way. He says, okay, how much are these? Cause he's not a big current race fan. He's in the old, old stuff. But anyway, he goes, how much is carbon fiber now? And then ask, I said, well, you know, the hood the roof and the, and, the, and the trunk are carbon fiber and that the rest is still, he goes, well, you take the trunk for example. The trunk, when they make it out of carbon fiber, zero tolerance. It's per, it's perfect. It's what it needs to be. But he says, what happens is you got to mount it. You got to put hinges on it. You got to put all this stuff on it. And he says, those are tolerance stacks up, stack ups. And what he sees is the issue is all these tolerance stack ups, as he calls it. So when you when you have it when you have one object. There's the tolerance is zero. When you put something on top of it, you're, there's going to be a, you're adding tolerance to it, whatever it is. Now this system measures down to a fifteen hundredth of an inch or whatever. So you have a roof or uh, anything, a, a trunk, putting it on the body, which has to be bolted onto the frame, which has to be bolted, you know, the subframe, frame, roll cage. You have all these items, so you're getting all these tolerance stack-ups, and that's where the issue is. And his point is, yes, you can measure into that, but the problem is it's going to be really hard to hit that mark because of all the tolerance stack-ups you have on a race car. Yeah. And on a big area, you know, and it's not like an engine where everything's precise. These are things that are that – are, that can be moved. That can be, you know, they're, they're, they're big areas. Yeah. So interesting. Let's check in with uh, Laurie Monroe, Dennis Michelson from race talk radio. They talk a bit about the inspection and, and all, all the, there's more talk about what's happening in, in the pits and behind the, the pit wall than on the track. Is that an issue? Let's go get their point of view. Dennis Michelson and Lori Monroe from RacetalkRadio.com digging deep into your NASCAR talk here on the final inspection. And Lori Monroe, another race and another Kevin Harvick win. This Harvick team is on a roll. Yeah, definitely on a roll. And at this point, it doesn't really matter what he does because he's just going to turn around and win the next week. And the guys made the chase. He's putting his money where his mouth is. He's basically thumbing his nose at NASCAR when he gets out of the car at the end of the race, pointing at the window. This guy's this guy's sort of on top of everything. I really liked that move of of pounding on the window and oh, yeah. and checking it out, and then he did it again in victory lane. I mean, he really rubbed it in. And what a weird situation because looking back at the week before when his team got penalized they left the track thinking everything was okay but social media posts got them busted how weird is that are we going to be looking at a situation where nascar just uses the fans on instagram and reddit and facebook and twitter to officiate their races from now on 
No, that's a little extreme. They're not going to use the fans for that. They've got their own tactics. But I really think that in this day and age, with all of the social media stuff, pictures being posted instantly everywhere, NASCAR just has another set of eyes. And if they do see something that's a little bit suspect, like they did with uh, did with Harvick, then by golly, they've uh, they're going to be all over it. It's kind of interesting how they're dealing with that. With all of their NASCAR officials, how did they not see this, though? Well, I guess with the car in motion, is it would happen instead of sitting still. So I, I just don't know. It, it, it took a, a still photo, I suppose, or was it a piece of video? And that's how you saw it. But then again, you hear other drivers talking that they have seen this stuff throughout the last many months into the late last year. So and then they're popping up with uh, Dylan's car from last year having uh, the same issue. So I kind of wonder, too, is it one of these things? Well, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to be busted next for something. You just don't really rat on on your competition because you're probably as guilty as they are for doing something. So it's going to take a fan to bring this to the attention of everybody and then NASCAR to follow through on it. Is this setting a bad precedent, though, where a car passes technical inspection and it's only a picture that makes them look for more stuff? Because they saw the same thing in the Mm R&D Center when they tore the car down the week before and didn't catch it. Now this brace issue, I, I don't think this happened just at one race. I think this has been their strategy since late last year. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that, and probably not just this team either. But the thing is, the way they're they're governing everything and measuring everything with lasers, micrometers, you name it, everything's thinner than a piece of paper, this is going to happen. And that, to me, is a bigger problem than something happening with Harvick's car. These guys are in too tight a box. I say this every week. I just don't know how you're supposed to go out there and race and try and – try and get every inch out of your car that you can without something happening and NASCAR calling you out on it. Are we going to see a major rule change, though, to slow down these Fords? Because there's clearly an advantage for those Stuart Haas teams. Not just that four car, but all of the Stuart Haas cars are just absolutely flying. They're doing well, and uh, it's really interesting to see that compared to, say, say the Penske group, but I don't know, short of a spike belt, I I don't know what they're going to do or what they're supposed to do. And while their teams are doing so well, what in blazes is going on with Jimmy Johnson another week where he just spins out on his own? He doesn't have to worry about anything right now, Dennis Michelson. You know that as well as anybody. He'll still win the championship. He does. They don't have to show all their tricks right now. They can just, they can just pedal back and you know, eat some crisp chips and some some celery sticks and go on a bike ride and, and then worry about things when push comes to shove. You're pretty confident of that. Oh, yeah. Well, we've seen it year after year. Okay. I'm just starting to wonder if Father Time has not caught up with Mr. Jimmy Johnson. I mean, it's been a full year and a half since he's won a championship. Father Time, you mean like Mark Martin? Uh, that guy, too. oh i think he's still got some uh some life in his tread milwaukee start your engines it's time to talk about all things racing nascar indycar trucks and formula one 
This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski live in studio. Sports Radio 105.7 FM, the fan in Milwaukee. Thank you for listening. We always appreciate your support. Breaking news. Jeff Orlowski, I shouldn't say breaking news, but this broke last night. AJ Foyt, <laughs> Super Tex. In round two, AJ Foyt survived yet another attack by Africanized killer bees while working on his ranch in West Texas on Wednesday. He was treated at a local hospital and released once his system had stabilized. Unfortunately, this re- most recent attack will cause him to miss 12 hours of Sebring, where we'll be talking with Eddie Lapine here in a few minutes, where he was to be inducted in the Racing Hall of Fame on Friday night and serve as Grand Marshal. Our friend David Hobbs is standing in for him. Uh, I'm very sorry he can't be there because I was really looking forward to it this weekend, said Foyt, who's expected to make a full recovery. I was doing some work on my ranch out west and got a tap of killer bees. Uh, I looked like I had a fight with Mike Tyson and lost. Right now, I'm on so much medication that I'm not feeling so great, and I'll take my, medic, uh, take my doctor's advice to rest for the next couple of days. Foyt, who's 83... Under underwent his first attack in August of 2005, where he sustained over 200 stingers in his head alone. In both cases, he was working on his bulldozer when he disturbed the beehives. By all accounts, this attack is more. This attack was more severe and more dangerous because he has been sensitized to bee stings from his first encounter. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, he did later say in another uh, note that uh, they poured diesel gas on the hives and killed them all. <laughs> so he got his revenge, apparently. I guess, but... Have you ever been stung by a bee? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, You're not one of these guys who run around with their hands above their heads? Oh, God, no. Getting the bees more pissed at them? No. I, I never understood that the people that are afraid by bees cause more issues by flailing around, hitting them, and yeah. and then because I was I'm, I'm a, I was one of these kids. I was always, you know, searching and inspecting nature. So I used to grab the bees, and there's a way that you could grab them with your f- forefinger and, and thumb. When I was a kid, and you grab them the right way. The st- when they sting, they're just stinging the, the thumbnail. Yeah, and I'd look at them and that. And once in a while, you get stung, but after a while, you know, I. I Thankfully, I wasn't allergic to them, and I just, it just, it didn't really bother me. When I was a kid, I was up on, uh, I was visiting my grandparents in Michigan, and I was out uh, on their farm with my grandfather, and he was, uh, had the weed whacker out making a, a path through the woods. I had a football shirt on, and uh, he hit a, a, a hive of ground bees. Yeah. And I got stung like, I don't know, 30 times, really? 32 times, something like that. Like one of those mesh ones with the holes yep. in it? Yep. Yep. And, uh, 
you know, obviously they weren't killer bees, but, uh, you know, did it feel great? No. Was I running away from them and, you know, flailing my arms? No. I'm a man. <laughs> you know? I'm a man. I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> you stand there and you take it and you deal with it. But, uh, yeah, good for, you know, glad that uh, that he's okay. He's going to be all right. 81 years old. Time to hire some 83. help. 83. 83, even even better. Time to hire some help there, buddy. Have, have them, no, have them do the AJ. work. Uh, quick, real quick AJ story. So in 1981, he's at an IndyCar race at Michigan. And some type of suspension failure, so he hit the wall. And this is before they had carbon fiber cars. And he hit the wall. And back then, the protection on the IndyCars pretty much just went up to your waistline. You were pretty much exposed from your waist on up in an IndyCar. They were covered, but... It was mostly just fiberglass in that. Mm -hmm. So he hit the wall, high banks. They're going, you know, in 1981, they're going 200-plus miles an hour. And there's a photo, an AP photo, because they missed it on TV. They got the car coming to a halt. But he hit the wall and kind of cartwheeled or kind of. Somersaulted. Yeah, kind of not flipping, but kind of was in the air. And you see him, and and his right arm is kind of bent the wrong way. He hit okay. the wall so hard. So, and I remember he was knocked out, and they had footage of him. They were loading him onto the helicopter, and you could see it coming, like, the for two seconds before, and it was the older style where they loaded him, not through the back, but in the side. Right. And you can see it. You can see it coming. You can see it coming, the elbow heading right for the door of his broken <laughs> arm. And he hit the door, and it woke him up. It's like, oh, you could see it, like, guy's knocked out, and it must have just shot an electrical pulse through his whole body, you know, woke him up out of it being knocked out. Yeah, and and so what did AJ do for rehab? He painted a, like, a one-mile-long picket fence or whatever it was. Nice. With his right hand, with just painting, hand like Tom Sawyer, painting this fence. He painted, he'd paint, and that's how he, that's what he did for his rehab. And sure enough, uh, next year he was running again full time in the IndyCar series. Back when men were men. Men were men. Speaking of men, Dennis Michelson talks about uh, inspections and whatnot in, in in our next segment here with uh, Lori Monroe from Race Talk Radio. Let's check in from them and get the latest on NASCAR from them. Dennis Michelson, Lori Monroe from Race Talk Radio, back talking NASCAR and. Laurie, winning the race wasn't the only headline that Kevin Harvick made. Talking about the uh, NASCAR inspection process wasn't the only headline he made. Kevin Harvick had some really, really strong words about grassroots racing development, taking the Phoenix track president to task for canceling events like the K&N West Series races at the track because they weren't making money for him, and also the Copper Classic. But I have a real problem with what Kevin Harvick said because if Kevin Harvick was so adamant about supporting grassroots racing, why isn't he still running his own grassroots racing team? You know, I've thought the same thing, too. And, you know, you mentioned money. Nobody's a charity. These tracks aren't a charity. KHI is not a charity or wasn't a charity. 
it's it's all lovely to stop and think how great it would be to to give everybody a break and everybody a chance and still do this and still do that but we know that's not a reality and i you know i again it's kevin harvick and he'll he says stuff that gets people all riled up just just a few months ago he talked about the reason nascar's in a down downward slide is because because Dale Jr. Uh, was out of the sport for a bit, I guess, when he had his concussion. So, you know, he just, he's very opinionated. It's fun to listen to him. And he does have a lot of, uh, a lot of good points in what he makes, uh, what he talks about. But still, it's, it's emotions talking with him. And, you know, there's, there's a big picture here. And, you know, tracks are there to make money. When you're not making money, you're you're you can't just open the place up and pay your employees and and that's it. It's uh, there's it's a multifaceted thing. It's it's bigger than me, that's for sure. And it's sort of another swipe at NASCAR, because the reason that none of these races, none of these events go on anymore at tracks like Phoenix is because NASCAR keeps raising the sanctioning fees. And the minimum payouts that they expect a track to do, and I've seen it with even ARCA races and you know uh, Xfinity races and other races where you know they just have raised the cost of doing business too high for the tracks. It I almost feel sorry for the tracks. The only races they can make money on are the ones that they have a great TV contract for. If they don't have a TV contract, mm-hmm. they can't make money anymore. Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing. You know, you look at look at Kevin Harvick himself. Would he want to do what he's doing for a quarter of the pay? Look at these drivers who've walked away as well. You know, uh, Matt Kenseth. Would he would he stay if he was getting paid four dollars a race? No, he left. So how do we expect the tracks to do the same thing? Well, in the sponsor money too. Like used to be. A lot of the sponsors that you would see on the NASCAR circuit at the cup level, at the old Winston Cup level, heck, Winston alone used to not only sponsor the Winston Cup series, but they used to pay a lot of money to the short tracks as well and mm-hmm. even provide things that they needed like paint so they could paint their walls. I mean, simple things that saved tracks money. But a lot of the sponsors that were on the cup cars back then also had commitments at the short track, but as the cost of a cup sponsorship has gone up, those sponsors can't afford to support grassroots racing anymore. It's gotten so big and so expensive. I just, you just wonder where it's all going to end. Would you like to see an effort by some of these drivers though? I mean, that's how they made their millions. Would you like to see them and like to see NASCAR and others uh, within the sport come up with some sort of a plan to help support the grassroots racing? Because I'm very convinced that's how you grow the generation of very loyal fans. Most fans nowadays, most NASCAR fans, I'll bet, the first race that they ever went to was a cup race. Versus years ago, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the first race you ever attended as a fan was a short track race. That has changed a lot over the years. I don't think a lot of fans even realize where their local short track is. 
Well, NASCAR had this big push on about, you know, names are made here and all this type of stuff. Where where are they falling short there? And with drivers, um, you know, Kevin Harvick, like you said, he shut down his operation. Keselowski shut his truck team down. Uh, Kyle Busch, what's the future of, uh, of, of Kyle Busch? Uh, what's the KBM, I guess it's called. Who knows? But there's only so many drivers that have the actual ambition to run their own team. It's not for everybody. A lot of these guys are just drivers and that's it. They're not businessmen. They don't want to be. They just want to drive. So you can't put it all on their shoulders. But, uh, you know, it's there are just like I said, so many levels to this. And I just it's 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 a problem that I don't even think there's a good answer for. Heading to Fontana this weekend for the Cup Series. Who's your pick to win on Sunday? I'm riding the the, the Harvick wave, and I'm saying he's going for number four. And I'm going to pick Martin Truex Jr. to put an end to the streak. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke and Jeff Orlowski live in studio. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from RacingNation.com, it is Eddie Lapine live at the 12 Hours of Sebring. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Hey, hi, Steve. Hi, Jeff. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Great. Just a full show. Lots of stuff happening in the world of racing, and I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, former IndyCar driver, it looks like Mike Conway is making his move trying to get into the lead uh tell us what's going on at uh sebring well i where do you start it's it's been exciting since turn one on the first lap um when oliver paw plowed into the barrier and uh there's been flips uh there's just been a lot of action it's it's i don't know what it's going to be like towards the end but it's going to be a crazy race the weather is absolutely beautiful uh, you couldn't ask for any better weather. Have and, we have, uh, have, have the campers set fire to any of the cars yet? Um, I didn't see that last night, but I will <laughs> say somebody did an aerial 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 shot uh-huh. uh, yesterday, and they said this has been the biggest crowd they've ever seen here. Wow! And uh, you know how it is down here. Oh right? yeah, it's it's you it's a it bucket list. As I, yeah. As, yeah, as I posted some pictures on uh, the Facebook fan page. Uh, it, you see it all here. When you think you've seen it all, you'll see something that'll just blow you away. Especially so, those especially those weather tech girls on the uh, final inspection uh, Facebook page. And uh, Jeff and I are smiling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are nice. Those are nice. Well, well, you know, when at the last time when I posted those weather tech girls, we had a cardboard cutout of Dindo Capello at Road Atlanta, and uh, it was nice to take him. Actually, instead of the cardboard cutout, we used the real person. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, they were excited to meet him, and uh, he was excited more to see them. <laughs> so, were they in awe of your I- celebrity, Eddie? I'm telling you, I just been busy trying to take him around, so it's been real hard to even do any work. So, 
I'm just hanging. Actually, I'm hanging out in the Audi suite right now. Andy's let us have it, and it's been my office right now, and it's great. It's fabulous. So what what kind of a what's the kind of the buzz down there? Is it Cadillac in the prototypes? Is uh is it BMW showing some speed in the GT cars? What's kind of what's the the, the well, hot topic? I just think that uh, it's, you're really going to have to see this play out. It's just it it's not what anybody expected, and and if this race is turned into like a twelve hour sprint race. And they're going full out, and there's going to be some mechanical issues, and you're just going to have to see how it plays out. Uh, I, I, you definitely have to mm-hmm. think the Cadillacs are definitely a favorite, but you know they had some problems at Daytona, and from my understanding, they have not figured it all out. So I think you know when it gets into eight nine o'clock tonight, I think then we'll be able to see how it's unfolding. But right now the weather is just awesome. It's a little warm, so the track's going to change, and it definitely changed when the sun goes down. Of course, when so, you think of uh, the 12 hours of Sebring, you think of many of the great drivers that have raced there, including Hurley Haywood, and Hurley Haywood is such an icon in the world of uh, IMSA racing. And uh, not only has he won the uh, – the Rolex uh, 24 five times. He's won three of the uh, 24 Le- hours of Le Mans, including 12 or two at the 12 hours of Sebring. And Eddie, you you had the chance to sit down with Hurley, didn't you? Yeah, we we talked about Amelia Island doing it, and that's when he started his uh, book signing last week, and it was just crazy. You know, that's his home um, with with Brumos Porsche being down the street and. Uh, it was crazy, but yeah, I mean, it was a Hall of Fame. They had Roger Penske was here, and he had a uh, seminar with Bill Tower from Chevrolet, one of the engineers, and it was it was just awesome. And Hurley sat in on that, and then I got to talk to Hurley, and you know, kind of just reminisced and talked about the book. You know, it, it's incredible. It's you know, Hurley is just the, one of the greatest guys. And Porsche, just you know, the Porsche fans just love him. Well, he certainly is, and yeah, with his history with 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 Brumos and that, I mean, he is one of the certainly one of the icons when it comes to Porsche Motorsports. And let's uh, let's let's take a listen to uh, Hurley right now the, with uh, Eddie Lapine on the Final Inspection Show. I'm at the 2018 Sebring 12-hour race. I'm at the Hall of Fame with the one and only Hurley Haywood. He's here doing his uh, book tour. Uh, Hurley, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Great to have you. Um, What do you think? How's the turnout so far? Well, so far it's good. I mean, we, we are, they're not working me too hard today because we only had 50 copies left after Amelia Island. We sold out at Amelia Island. We sold out. We were not in L.A. the week before that. So the book has been really uh, well-received, and, and people are really excited about it. It's a beautiful book. It's got, you know, some photos, over 600 photos, some of them I've never seen before. So it was really fun to look at those. And, and uh, Sean has done a beautiful job. Who's a 
who's the author of the book and has done a great job on putting the book together and making it in an interesting read for somebody that doesn't necessarily have to be a, a card not to, to enjoy it. So I'm really I'm really proud of it. Uh, how long has this book been in uh, the process? Uh, three, basically, from conception to completion was about three and a half years. And so, it, it, it is amazing for our listeners out there. They need to get this book. Early, our listeners are up in Wisconsin. And can you give us a little something about Road America, what it means? means to you and what that track uh, well, in your career you know um, I was born and raised in Chicago so Elkhart Lake was you know my sort of home track in the early days I love going up there stayed at Seepkins you know just uh, the, the memories from those uh, 70s and 80s at Elkhart Lake were really uh, really are, are ingrained in my memory bank so I love that area of the world. Um, you know the cheese up there, the sweet corn during the during the season. All that stuff is really uh, wonderful. Hurley, is there any story you can tell me? Uh, you know, maybe some fun story that you remember about Seepkins. Well, Seepkins was the hotel that everybody stayed at in the early days, and I remember John Bishop uh, sitting at a table with some high-ranking members of the Imsa family, and we used to, uh, you know, have occasionally food fights in the hall, but nothing too drastic. But for some reason, I launched a a, a roll with uh, smeared with butter, and it hit. John right in the face and stuck on his cheek and that was that we all every all the drivers got into big trouble you know th- we are gentlemen we do not throw food at dinner and blah 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 so yeah that was one of many so Hurley what would you think if that happened now in today's world if it happened at Marion's Marion would have a heart attack or Marion wouldn't like it and I don't think uh, any of these guys uh, have that mindset anymore we would all be in trouble if that happened today because of the strict rules with the sponsors and stuff like that no it's just uh, different era well it's really 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 good to have you uh, on the show and I hope look forward to you being at Road America will you be at Road America I'm not with sure. the book is yeah, that on the uh, it's not on the schedule for now but that could change well again it's it's great to you can see. buy everybody can get it online at hurleybook.com www.hurleybook.com and and Hurley we won't charge you for that free plug the final inspection show steve zotti along with jeff Rolowski, live in studio along with eddie lapine from RacingNation.com, who's down at beautiful warm sebring florida enjoying the 12 hours of sebring 
And uh, what's going on? Who's uh, who's leading down there? You know what? I'm so. I just got done with lunch. Ah, <laughs> living the high life, Jeff. <laughs> He's living the house. Must be nice, Eddie. Yeah. Must be nice. Oh, oh I'm, in, I'm in the Audi tent. Yeah, catered lunches. I'm in the Audi suite. Oh, the suite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Rough got a WeatherTech yeah. girl feeding him grapes. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But call me back in a few hours, and then we'll be able to sort it out to see who's going to win. But uh, last night, uh, the the Hall of Fame dinner which uh, A.J. Foyt was supposed to be at, and Dindo Capello was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame last night. And, well, well, hold on. Hold uh, on here, Eddie. Who, what, what friend of the show stood in for A.J. Uh, at the dinner? <laughs> well, I, it's supposed to be off the record. Nobody's supposed to be know what happened last night. It was yeah. like one of those Bay, Las Vegas things. Right. What stays at the Hall of Fame dinner? Well, it was our, our, our friend David Hobbs was at the dinner, yeah. David Hobbs, Derek Bell. Uh, Derek Bell was MC, and David Hobbs came up there and they roasted him a little bit. Uh, it was a very interesting evening, to say the least. The food was actually uh, very good, which you, you know. Yeah, for because some of these, yeah, some of these uh, dinners, you, you you know, you pay good money, and there's sometimes there's a charitable aspect of it. Uh, and the food is just so so. So that that that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it that was. The food uh, is it was it was good. It was uh, you know, it's two hundred and fifty dollars a plate, and uh, you know, I had to actually scrape the money up to go, and uh, it was really good. It, it was a very great. I mean, it was a very memorable evening. Um, with uh, Dindo being here, AJ was supposed to be the grand marshal. As everyone knows, he got stung by bees again. Um, that he's got that pretty well rehearsed. At least that's the feeling <laughs> that I'm getting. That the bees sting him every time he doesn't want to go anywhere. So, um, but uh, Dindo was inducted into the Hall of Fame along with Yost Racing, Paul Newman, Dindo Capello. For our listeners, he used to race at Road America in the early days with Audi. He has won. Sebring five times, and he's won the Petit Le Mans five times, and he's won Le Mans three times. He's one of the most winningest drivers ever to race in sports car, and uh, it was a great evening. It's uh, and you know, Dindo is is he's kind of I don't want to say un- under the radar, but I mean you know he, teaming up with Michaeli Alvarado, one of the great guys in road racing in the early days, as you said with with Audi, and then and then you know just I mean he's just work driving with legends like Tom Christensen and and, and uh, Alan McNish. Yeah, it's just he he is one of the great underrated drivers certainly. And uh, let's let, let's take a listen to uh, Dindo Capello with uh, Eddie Lapine. I'm at the 2018 Sebring 12-hour race. This weekend's a big weekend here. Uh, the race is here, and also we have a guest from Italy. Uh, Dindo Capello's here to be inducted into the Hall of Fame with A.J. Foy, Paul Newman, and Yost Racing. Uh, welcome, Dindo. It's great to have you here. Um, what do you think so far? How's the weekend going for you? Uh, yeah, the 
it's always a pleasure to meet you. And you know, Sebring for me is really something special. It's a big, big part of my career has been uh, built here in Sebring because uh, for me Sebring was in 99 my very first endurance race with Audi, my very first podium in sports car, my last victory in sports car in 2012 and uh, you know I raced 12 times here in Sebring and uh, for me as I said it's like to be back home every time I come back here. You, you guys back then and over all these years you've done a lot of testing here like you say it, it's like home I mean you have many laps around this track uh, I mean but Sebring special just with the fans and with with the uh, atmosphere I want to say and uh, you've enjoyed some of that today when we went along for the pit lane and, and saw how many people were there and you know, what's your feeling about, I mean, how would you compare these fans to like in Europe for Le Mans? I would say in that side, uh, uh, Sebring is something really unique because there is nothing you can compare to the atmosphere you get here in Sebring. The racing fan are really, really special. You can see the the passion for uh, racing and especially for endurance racing, which was a little bit missed in uh, in Europe. The first things when I came in Sebring for the very first time was this kind of atmosphere, which was missed completely in Europe. And uh, you know, after one race here, here in, in Sebring as a racing driver, you always are dreaming to be back in USA for racing again and uh, yeah that's why for me Sebring is really something unique and special. Do you think it's more or less from European racing to here in the States it, it's you're closer to the fans is that part of it uh, at Sebring I mean they're right there meeting and taking pictures and it's 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 not like any other track too you you get a very uh, close feeling with the fans and stuff like that and is that how you feel about it too when you come here yes but that is not only about Sebring that is about American American uh, motorsport which is completely different from Europe in that side in the moment at the moment in Europe you know uh, it's not so easy to, to see a race, even an important race, if it, which is not a Formula One race, to see grandstand uh, full like you, you can see here in USA. Uh, we are uh, used to racing very famous racetrack, but most of the time uh, half empty. And then, you know, as driver, you don't get a really great feeling about that. Once you are here in America, in Sibling especially, you have a completely different uh, feeling. Once you are in the car and you look a little bit around in the formation lap or in the warm-up lap, you really feel that you are part of something which is really, really special. And getting off of Sebring, because this is such a great weekend and, and it, it's great to be here, great to have you back in the States. Um, Road America is where all my fan base from the radio show is, and uh, it's my home. That's where I grew up in Wisconsin. Road America, what does that mean to you? I mean, is that how, how does that rank in one of the tracks that you've driven over the years? As I told you already, and uh, actually I didn't know that you were coming from that area, I, I always said the Road America in, as a layout is probably 
one of the best world uh, racetrack. I compare Road America to Spa in Europe, which is, uh, uh, as a common opinion, probably the, the most beautiful racetrack in the world. And I think Road America, I always, I always compare Road America to Spa. I think uh, uh, Road America is something unique for me. When I was driving there, I only, I only drove two times, I think. Uh, it was a great, great feeling. You get uh, elevation changes, you have a slow corner, a very fast corner, medium speed corner. Everything is, is great. Is uh, Road America get all the things a racing driver would like to get in a, in a proper racing, uh, racing track. Well, that's great. Well, again, we're, we're really happy to have you back in the States and uh, Maybe someday you can make it up to Road America for one of those famous bratwurst or, you know. Uh, that that's would be really great to be back in Road America once again. Also to drink some good beer, which is, uh, you know, I know that uh, <laughs> 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 Wisconsin is very famous for uh, brewery. Yes. Like my area in Italy is very famous for wine. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It is very good. Well, again, thanks so much. It's great to have you here and uh, enjoy and welcome to the Hall of Fame at Sebring. Thank you very much. And Ciao. after meeting you, looking forward to go back to Europe. And <laughs> <laughs>4 hours and 15 minutes into the 12-hour race. 7 hours and 44 minutes left. Elio Castroneves leads in the number 7 Acura uh, over Pepo Durani in the 22 Nissan and Mike Conway in the number 31 Cadillac DPI. Eddie Lapine. Yeah. Still sunny out there, yeah. isn't it? Sunny, oh, beautiful it's, weather. It's... it's uh... It's awesome. The weather, you couldn't ask for any better weather. I haven't remembered the weather ever being this great all weekend as it is this weekend. So, it's great. And make sure you check out the Facebook uh, final inspection page for where you can watch the 12 Hours of Sebring, which will be on TV and live on IMSA.com, I-M-S-A.com. We'll also tweet that out. You can follow us on Twitter at SFI1250 and also our personal uh, Twitters, Steve Zotke, Z-A-U-T-K-E at Twitter, Jeff Orlowski, Jeff? Uh, Jeff underscore Orlowski. And, of course, Fast Eddie Photos. It's photos with an S for Eddie Lapine. And, uh, Eddie, let's do predictions, uh, NASCAR predictions. Uh, of course, uh, NASCAR out in Fontana this weekend. What says you? Well, there's a, a lot going on out there. Uh, from what I just saw, and uh, I'm going to go with Truex. <laughs> Martin Truex Jr., the pole winner out in Fontana. Uh, I'm going to go with the chalk. Might as well you run with uh, run with the, the guy who's winning it all. I'll go with Kevin Harvick. Jeff? I'm going to go with uh, the candy man. Give me Kyle Busch. Mr. <laughs> the face looks like he just smelled a fart, but I'm going to go with him. 
so we'll see. Uh, all those picks will be posted on the Facebook page. You can follow along. Hey, Eddie, on uh, August 3rd, uh, do you have uh, any plans on August 3rd? Well, it's so funny because we were just talking that, about that a couple weeks ago. When is Alice going to come to Milwaukee? And it just so happens it is the same weekend as the Road America race. How did that happen? I don't know. Um, and a friend of mine at SNS Tickets, Tiffany, called me up and she got me eight front row seats for the concert. How was that? Not bad. Not that bad. is fantastic, Eddie. I mean, you guys in Milwaukee just can't get it done. I mean, we work for a radio show and we can't get tickets. <laughs> Fast Eddie comes through. We certainly appreciate it, Eddie. And, uh, is it is does anybody have anything for the Penske Acura at Sebring? I really think it's way too early to say. Okay. Definitely. Way too because there's just been a mixture. There's been another caution. There's been a it, I think we're gonna see more caution and you know, Penske with their pitch strategy should be up at up in the front for the end, but we'll see what happens. Way to go out on a limb there, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, we certainly appreciate you joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline and also John Close oh, from closefinishes.com. Uh, we appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, you've been listening oh. to the Final Inspection Show. Eddie, one last thing. Nope, uh, we lost him. We lost Eddie. Thank you for listening to the Final Inspection Show. No more, How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.